0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with part two on Psalm 90, uh, how to make 2024 your year of peace. Well, I told my congregation on New Year's Eve, I said, I promise not to tell any more bad jokes for the rest of the year. So I gave my last dad joke to our congregation on New Year's Eve. And you know, every New Year's Eve, I look forward to a good show at Times Square. And and I want you to know, uh, year after year, they drop the ball. Okay, that's a bad dad joke. And this year, I guess we could say the same thing. Uh, they drop the ball on New Year's Eve. Well, as you're looking forward to a great new year, what are the predictions of what's going to happen in the new year? Well, yesterday I gave you several predictions as to what's going to happen. But even in the midst of not knowing exactly what's going to happen, we are looking at Psalm 90. As we look at Psalm 90, it's a prayer by Moses. It's the oldest psalm in the Bible. It's the only psalm that we know for sure that was written by Moses. Moses had just experienced four major setbacks in his life as he's penning this prayer of Moses, the man of God. He had just lost his sister Miriam in chapter 1 of Numbers 20. He is prohibited from going into the promised land because he strikes the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, the Edomites said, you cannot pass through our territory on your way to the promised land. And then fourthly, his dear brother Aaron dies. His brother was four years older than him, passes away. Moses was the high priest. And we know that Aaron was the high priest, rather. We know that Moses has got an understanding as to about what's happening. And so Moses takes Aaron's garments and puts them on his son, Eleazar, and then Aaron died up on the mountain. Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain where all the community had learned that Aaron had died. They mourned for him for 30 days. So that's the backdrop. Maybe the beginning of 2024 hasn't got off to such a great start for you. I ended 2023 doing the funeral of a dear friend of mine. I ended 2023 learning that my mother-in-law has brain cancer, and and, uh, outside of uh, a miracle of God, uh, we won't uh, experience Christmas 2024 uh, with her. Maybe that's how your year is kind of beginning. It's beginning with a difficulty. It's beginning with a setback. It's beginning with a lot of uncertainty. Well, uh, Psalm 90 can bring you some encouragement. Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Listen, God is with us and he's going to be with all generations. Now, that's God's chosen people. If you're born again, God is with you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to leave you. Moses said, even before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Don't you love that phrase? Everlasting to everlasting. Now, we are not everlasting to everlasting. We have a beginning, but we have no end. But God has no beginning nor ending. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Verse number three of Psalm 90. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and withered. You know that's true with your lawn. It may be burned one day and you water it, and then the next day uh, it turns green again. So God says, verse number seven Moses praying, We are consumed by your anger. We're terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Uh, you see, there's no such thing as a secret sin. It's a secret sin to us but it's open scandal in heaven in the presence of God. All of your days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. You've been there, right? Maybe you finished 2023 and you moaned and said, man, thank God this year is over. Verse number 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80. And as Moses writes this, he's He's not saying uh, that that's how long you're going to live. This is not a promise. He's saying, as we look at our lives, we're going to probably live to be 70, 80 years. Uh, Maybe if we're strong, we can live a little bit past that. Don't get hung up on the number here. Get hung up on the idea that the best of them are filled with trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass, and we will fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is in your due. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, verse number 12 is not teaching us to number our days as one would accounting for our days, like the accountant would count how many assets you have and how much of a liability you have and and make an assessment as to your worth. That's not what Moses is talking about. Moses is talking about here, as we teach us to number our days, it is to live to the fullest potential of the purpose that you have for us. And as we follow the purpose of God, then we gain a heart of wisdom. Verse number 13, oh, relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy And be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as we have, as you have afflicted us. Moses is saying, would you give us a glad day for every day you've afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Give us a good year for every bad year we have experienced. And may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, Moses is giving us a mouthful here in that last paragraph. He's saying, the years we have been afflicted, give us a good year. May your deeds be shown to your servants. In other words, Moses is praying and he's saying, listen, I know we've been through some hard times. Have compassion on us. We have had pressure on us. Help us to focus on the good years that we've had, not just the bad. You know, I was thinking about this. I have a son who has uh, special needs. He's uh, 23 years old. And uh, from 15 to 23, uh, up to about 10 months ago, 11 months ago, for those eight years, he suffered violent outbursts uh, where he would uh, be very aggressive. He would break things. Uh, He would attack people, he would bite people, uh, do a lot of damage, and um, uh, both my wife and I had to uh, spend some time in the emergency room uh, from an attack that we experienced from him. So it it is so easy for us uh, to get hung up on those eight years and miss the other part of his life in which he didn't have those violent outbreaks. And I'm happy to report in 2023 that God brought healing to my son. He has not had an episode in over 10 months. And I believe that God has healed him. And so I want to focus on the fact that God has brought healing. Was it eight years that we will forget? We will not forget those eight years. But we're not going to focus on those eight years because as we look at his life, that's only been a third of his life. Two-thirds of his life uh, has been good. And so hopefully it'll be more than that as he, continues on, uh, as he continues on his life. As you focus on your life, the enemy will love to get you focused on the one area of bad. Don't make that bad worse than it has to be by constantly dwelling on it. Did something bad happen to you in 2023? You're going to ruin 2024 if you are consumed with that. I think about things breaking up, right? It's so sad when a marriage falls apart. But what is even sadder than a marriage falling apart is one spouse or maybe both of those spouses being stuck in bitterness. Oh, the marriage is dissolved. They've gone on, but they haven't really gone on because they are rehashing their bitterness they have for that former spouse. Don't waste your life wasting your tears on things that God can bring healing on. Focus on the healing that God has for you. Moses says, have compassion on us. May your deeds be shown to us, your servants. Your splendor to your children. Moses says, I've experienced some bad things. I've lost Miriam, my sister. I've lost Aaron, my brother. I'm not going into the promised land because of my disobedience. The Edomites won't let us cut through their territory. But you know what? In spite of that, I'm going to see the splendor of my God. I'm going to see the favor of the Lord our God resting upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, he says, establish the works of our hands. You see, we have a choice. What are you going to focus on in this brand new year? We've learned, first of all, that God is big, verses number one and two. Magnify Him. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, even before the mountains were born and brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So magnify what He has done in your life. Being able to go through difficulties, is common to man. You may as well get used to it. Although we can't predict what's going to happen in this brand new year, I can tell you there's going to be some setbacks in your life. One of the things I always tell couples when I do their pre-marriage counseling, I said, I want you to know the reason the marriage vows says for better or for worse in sickness and in health, the reason that is part of the vows is because there's going to be some worse times in your marriage. For rich or for poor, there's going to be some poverty times or poor times in your marriage. In sickness and in health, oh, there's going to be times where you're going to experience sickness. Either you or your spouse or or both of you are going to experience sickness. And I promise you, somewhere throughout the course of your marriage, there's going to be a rough spot that you're going to hit. There's going to be some hard times that you're going to experience. I don't know how they're going to be. I don't know when they're going to happen. I don't know the circumstances surrounding them. But you can't be married for any length of time without having some difficulties inflicting your marriage. So go ahead and plan on it. There's going to be some rough patches in the future for you. But magnify God in the midst of that trial. Lift Him up in the midst of that trial. Have the motto that Corey Chen Boone had, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So I want to ask you a question. What part of your life right now are you making God too small? What part is it? And how do we make God too small? Well, we can't really reduce His size, but we make Him appear too small when we allow our problems to eclipse our God. We get so consumed with our problems, we place them before God, and we can't even see the magnitude of who God is because we are focused on the problems that we have. All generations, not all people, all generations have experienced God's dwelling within them. So God is big. Magnify him. Secondly, God is in control. Let's rest in him. Verses three through eight. Again, we're in Psalm 90. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up noon, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. I heard an illustration many years ago of a professor who was at Princeton University. His name was Robert Wilson. He was a theological professor, and this was a long time ago at Princeton, and Professor Wilson was a a professor of theology, but also a professor that taught young pastors how to preach. And back then, when Princeton was a much more conservative school and it was kind of geared toward training pastors and missionaries, this particular Princeton University professor uh, would have those who graduated from Princeton come back. If uh, they were uh, successful in ministry, come back 10, 12, 15 years after they had graduated. And they would given the opportunity to speak at Miller Chapel on the grounds of Princeton University. Well, on one particular day, a graduate came. And he returned. Professor Wilson was in the audience. And after the sermon, he walked up to the young man and said, Now, if you come back again, I'll not come and hear you preach. I only come once. But I'm glad that you are a big godder. And what does that mean? Well, when my boys came back, he said, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know that their ministry, I know what it's going to be like. Well, the former student who just preached didn't quite understand it. And so he said, well, could you explain what you mean by a big godder? He said, well, you know, some have a little God and they're always in trouble with him. They can't do any miracles because they're always in trouble with God. Now, he can't take care of the power of the inspiration of Scripture because they have a small view of God. They have a little God and they call them little Godders. But then there are those who have a big God, a great God. And he speaks and it's done. He commands and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. You, he said, have a great God and he will bless your ministry. Now think about that. What is your view of God? Now, in reality, our view of God doesn't really matter. It's not going to change who he is. But I want to encourage you to have a big view of God. Be a big Godder. Don't be walking around saying, I have got big faith. All you need is a little faith in a big God. In 1 Corinthians 15 47, Paul reminds us the first man, Adam, was the dust of the earth. The second man is in heaven. That's talking about Christ. Now, as we look at how God is all powerful, Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years. God is in control. Jesus says, if God knows how to clothe the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much will he care for you? So here's our motto for this second point. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. Realize that God is in control. He is big. Let's magnify him. God is in control. Let's rest in him. Let's allow him to run the universe and let us run the things that he's called us to run. If God can take care of the grass of the field, I think he can take care of us. Well, there's a third point that Moses prays. He prays and and not only acknowledges that God is big, let's magnify him, not only that God is in control, let's rest in him, but in verses 11 and 12, he says, life is short. Let's live for God. Look at verse number 11. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due your name. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now part of that teaching us to number our days is a reminder life is short. You know, I have to look at my life like a uh like a football game, right? There are four quarters to a game. And based upon your age, that would determine how far along you are in the game. Now I want you to know that the football game is not won in the first quarter, it's not won or lost in the second quarter, it's not even won or lost in the third quarter. Is who has the most points on the scoreboard at the end of the fourth quarter that wins. You may be a fourth quarter Christian. Maybe you're a seasoned citizen, a seasoned saint, and you're thinking, well, the game's over for me. You know, there's a lot of games that are not decided until the fourth quarter. Unless you are so far behind in the score uh, that it's impossible to get caught up, but most football games don't end that way. Most football games are won or lost in the fourth quarter. So number our days, see that we will gain a heart of wisdom. know where you are in your life, man, if you are in the fourth quarter of your life, you ought to be spending that time influencing the next generation. Don't waste this last quarter of your life driving around in an rV and and going around and gathering seashells. Now, I'm not talking about not taking a vacation, but vacation ought not to be the purpose of your life. You have too many other people that need your influence. Too many other people that need your experience. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In Psalm chapter 20, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. How can anyone understand their way? Well, you have to realize that we've got to number our days. You know, I have always loved the works of Michelangelo, and he painted that beautiful mural on the ceiling wall at the Sistine Chapel. I think some people in my church have actually been there. I've never been to Rome, but maybe one day I'll be there. But as Michelangelo is painting this beautiful mural, he spent a lot of time on that big mural called The Last Judgment, and then he spent a lot of time adorning that ceiling. And he had been on a scaffold for two weeks straight in almost the same position. And his neck was careened way back as he had to look up under the ceiling. He was working on this delicate piece of the painting. When he finally came off that scaffolding after two weeks, he had been so used to looking up for so long, he found it painful to look down to the ground. Now, I know some people who live the reverse of that. They're so used to looking down all the time at all the bad stuff, It's actually painful for them to look up and expect God to give them joy. Well, here's the motto on this third point. You only have one life to live. So soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Hey, look up. Some have been looking down so long that it hurts to look up. But look up. Our Redeemer lives. Look up, God is going to give your life purpose. Life is short, so live for Him. Well, there's one final point that we've got to cover. We've talked about magnifying God. We've talked about Him being in control, rest in Him. We've talked about life being really short, and life is really short, so we should live for Him. Here's the last point. Life is hard. And because life is hard, enjoy God's presence. In verses 13 to 17, Moses cries out to the Lord, Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad as many as the days that you have afflicted us. as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of our Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, Lord, establish the works of our hands. James talks about the brevity of life. James says, what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little while and then it is gone. Not only is life very short, but life is extremely hard. You ever wonder why life is so hard? The reason that life is so hard is because sin has entered into our lives. The wages of sin is death. Sin has also brought about a curse upon our lives. When I think about the difficulties that we face in life, uh, we can thank our ancestors, Adam and Eve, for bringing sin into the picture, but uh, in reality, we can also thank ourselves. Because not only do we sin because we have a sinful nature, uh, we sin because we choose to sin. I've discovered the more that I sin, the more complicated my life gets, the more broken my life becomes. But when I confess my sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I want you to know that um, I disappoint my Lord often. And it's almost heartbreaking because I should know better, right? So, Lord, would you establish peace for us? All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. You know, there is no security in things. In fact, things are very deceptive. They appear to be satisfying and lasting when they're actually temporary and unable to satisfy the deepest needs of life. Certainly, God wants to enjoy the blessings of life. There's nothing spiritual about sitting in a corner and saying, these things will not last anyway. Why should I enjoy them? No, God gives us all things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy these good gifts, just as we want our children to enjoy what we give them. But he doesn't want us to depend on these things. He wants us to depend on him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, God helps those who cannot help themselves. And we say just the opposite. God helps those who help themselves. But the bottom line is, God will only help those who cannot help themselves. Would you lean on the Lord today? Enjoy his presence. Live for him. Yes, life is hard. Magnify him. He's big. He's in control. Rest in him. Well, thank you so much for joining me as we've wrapped up part two of this Psalm 90. So Lord, I pray we take these words, this prayer by Moses, and not only we pray this prayer, but we take this prayer and apply it to our lives. We're gonna give you the glory and honor that is due your name. We magnify you, we lift up the name of Christ.